Are there any of any graduates in the house this morning? Anybody here that graduated this year? I know there's one. Why don't you stand up? Kobe's here, at least. Anybody else? Yeah, let's give him a hand. Oh, we got some up in the balcony, too. So give these guys a hand. Make sure you're praying for these, for these folks as they, you know, make transition into the next stage of life. Um, but, man, we're so proud of you guys. Um, hey, have you ever heard the statement that, there's, that no question is a dumb question? Hmm, I don't know if that's true or not. But, you know, here's some questions that I have. Questions like, why do we drive on parkways? And park on driveways. Dumb question? Maybe. I don't know. Or why is there no egg in eggplant? How about why are tennis balls fuzzy? I've always wondered that. Um, Oh, this is a good one. Why do feet smell and your nose runs? Doesn't, Doesn't make sense. Of course, then there's theological questions like, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? <laughs> Think about it. Listen, today we are beginning our new summer series called You Asked For It. And this series has been put together by you, really. You've asked questions. You've turned questions into Pastor Lawrence, and he has put together this series to answer those questions. Um, you know, about the Bible, about current issues, and just about life. He is not here this weekend. He is, him and Penny are actually in Ohio. He was asked to speak at a denominational conference, so they are there this weekend. Um, but he wanted to deliver this message to you, not really in person, but via video. So we're going to have that this morning, um, and it's great. We, we saw it last night, and there's so much good stuff in it. So turn your attention to the video and uh, enjoy the rest of the morning. Uh, good morning, Grand Point. Uh, very special thank you to our hosts who have been leading in our worship services today. Uh, this is not my preferred way to be with you, uh, but Penny and I were invited to uh, spend the weekend in Ohio uh, speaking at a conference, and we are now on our way home, but have stopped uh, at the Grace Community Church in Cranberry, Pennsylvania uh, to worship with Josh and Hannah and baby Brenneyes uh, and just spend the, the morning there. Now, if you're one of those people who are saying, gee, if I'd known that we are going to watch our speaker on screen this morning, I would have just stayed home and watched Craig Rochelle, right? And I know how much you like him. But let me, let me just uh, share one thing with you. Um, going to church is not just about listening to a live speaker. It's about being with live people. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to that person next to you right now and say, hey, thank you for being alive. Go ahead. Go ahead and do that. Now, it's so important that uh, we do share life together, and my hope is, whether you're watching online today or whether you're coming on screen like I am or whether you're live in person, that the body life that we share this morning is valuable and means something to you. I want to welcome you to the summer series called You Ask For It. Uh, in our preaching classes at seminary, we're often told when we preach, like when we have a topic, do not be answering questions that no one is asking. For example, a speaker might get up there and just kind of do this uh, narrative on how bad the world is, right? 
Well, no one's asking the question, is the world bad? We all know that it is. What we want to know is how do we fix it? How do we live in it? And so what we want to do in this series is not answer questions that you're not asking, and we won't because you have literally asked these questions. And so I want to say thank you to the congregation for uh, putting this series together because the questions that you're asking are no doubt representative of the entire church and maybe even the culture around us. So here's what we're going to do. There's a team of us uh, that are going to ask answer your questions. However, we're not going to do that on the basis of what we think or what our opinion is about it or even what our experience is. But we're going to attempt to answer these questions on the basis of what God says about it so that we don't get this wrong uh, or, or what even what God doesn't say about it. So what we're going to do is supply a study guide for each one of these messages, but one side of the paper is primarily blank <coughs> because we want you to take the notes that are most helpful to you. Uh, you're going to be interpreting these questions maybe from your own experience or from some things that are going on in your own family life right now, so you'll want to be taking your own notes. So if you ever wanted to start taking notes, today is the day. Uh, so go ahead and get out your notes and begin to uh, begin to write things down. Actually, as I'm looking out there right now, I don't see many of you getting your notes yet. Here, here's the deal. Probably you're like me. Uh, whenever a preacher tells me what to do, I like don't do it. I won't do it. I don't know what that means. I'm not sure if that's a problem or not, but my, my attitude is like, don't tell me what to do. Just make me want to do it. So anyway, maybe you're like that today, but, uh, or, or tell me what the Bible says. So here, here we go. Revelation chapter 110 says, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard a loud voice like a trumpet behind me saying, take notes. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I guess it's also important that we take the word of God in context. So uh, hang on, take out your notes, uh, your handout, your Bible app, or take notes in your head because these messages will generate some great conversations over lunch today, or perhaps even uh, as you wrestle with them in your mind when you're laying in bed tonight. Even though we're using the Bible for our answers to the questions, we realize that not everyone is going to agree with our interpretations. So I'm going to say right up front, if we say something in this message series that you do not agree with uh, or that you have a problem with, feel free to challenge us or correct us. I am certainly open to that. I know the other speakers are as well, but I would just say this, and I don't say this arrogantly, but just, just kind of on, on a same basis, don't come to us with your opinions or your experiences. Just come to us with the Word of God and show us where we're wrong or show us where the Word of God uh, says something differently. Because we want to root all these answers in, in the Word of God, uh, in the truth. So again, thank you for creating this series. You've asked some very, very good questions, and uh, here we go. To begin this series, I want to begin with two questions uh, that came from, from the audience. Uh, and both of these questions are about the Bible. And this has to be our starting place, because if we don't get this right, then we're simply left to popular opinion, uh, personal experience, or wishful thinking uh, to determine what the truth is. And that's always a dangerous place to go. There are many attacks on the Bible today, and they leave us with a lot of questions like, is the Bible even relevant for us today? Can it be trusted? 
What about all the discrepancies in the Bible? Is the Bible the only source of truth? And if it is, how do I share that with someone who disagrees with me? And because the Bible is the source, we're going to use, uh, we're going to use it to answer the questions in this series. And, and because of that, the best thing that we can do this morning, day one in this series, is to establish the authority of the Bible from the very beginning. Now, for those of you who are builders or if you're having a house built, you know that everything kind of is built on the foundation. And the foundation is extremely important. So it is with understanding life. So it is with interpreting the Bible and, and, and these questions. We need the solid foundation upon which to build everything else. And we're going to use the Bible for that as well. Since these questions are a big deal, I want to establish that good foundation. So we're going to take the first two weeks uh, to do that. I kind of feel like a, a teacher uh, in this series right now. So just stay with me because this is going to be good. And uh, you're going to need this. You're going to need this to understand the rest of the questions. Uh, the American Bible Society just two months ago uh, gave its 2022 report on their Bible survey that they do periodically. And to be honest with you, the results aren't that promising. They have discovered an unprecedented, there's that word again, that unprecedented drop in the percentage of Bible users in the United States. They reported that nearly 26 million Americans reduced or stopped their interaction with Scripture in this past year. And listen, I understand. I understand that the Bible is not an easy book uh, to understand. And then sometimes when we do understand it, it seems so contradictory or so foreign to our experiences that it, that it appears to be irrelevant uh, to the times that we live in. So we give up. We give up and we come, sometimes believe that the Bible is, is boring, it's confusing, and we don't see it working in people who do read it. So why even make it a big a part of our lives? But my vision... My vision in, in this week and next week and my vision for all of Grand Point at every campus, at every service, online audience, my vision is that we, when it comes to the Bible, is that we would learn it, we would love it, and we would live it. Learn it, love it, live it. That's it. Because it is a lamp to our feet, it's a, it's a light to our path, and it is the source, the absolute source of unbelievable blessings uh, to those who live it. So today, I just want to ask, answer the question, um, what is the Bible all about? What is the Bible all about? Now, when I was writing this message, I sat down in my office, I looked at my shelf, and I saw my Bibles there, and uh, so I just made note of what I have. I have the NIV Study Bible, I have the CBS Study Bible, I have the NIV Life Connect Study Bible, I have the ESV Gospel Transformation Bible, I have the New King James American Patriots Bible, I have the CBS Apologetic Study Bible. You confused yet? Man, we have so many different designations and translations for the Bible that sometimes we don't even know where to start there. But first of all, I just want to re remove all of those designations, those translations, and I just want to refer, uh, refer to this as the Holy Bible. That's it. That's all we need right now, the Holy Bible. Now, Bible simply means book, but holy means something special. I mean, holy means to be set apart or to be separated. So this is a special book. It's the most translated book in the world. It's the most read book in the world. It's the most important book in the world, but it is also the most attacked book in the world as well. That's why next week, 
I'm going to do a message on why the Bible can be trusted, how to defend the Bible, and why you can commit your life uh, to the Word of God as well. But today, I simply want to talk to you about the Bible. Like, what is it? One might think that the best-selling book of all time uh, would be one of the most understood books of all time, but it isn't. A lot of people and a lot of us have found inspiration in the pages of the Bible, but far few, far fewer have actually read it from beginning uh, to the end. So because we make it kind of a devotional thing and we pick parts of it, we certainly gain principles for life from it. For example, we've discovered life, uh, faith from the life of Abraham, courage from the story of David and Goliath, compassion from the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, forgiveness from the parable of the prodigal son, and, and a lot of other great principles we've gotten from it. But there are other parts of the Bible that just aren't as easy to grasp or understand. And we wonder, like after we read it, like what was that all about? Didn't make sense to me. I have no idea uh, what it is. So we grasp pieces more than we comprehend the whole. Uh, so I want to leave you with three truths uh, today about the Bible that will help you understand the whole. What is this? What is it? Number one, you need to know that the Bible is one story. It is just one story. In his book, One True Story, One True God, uh, Mark Young writes, and he says this, he says, everybody loves a great story. It's in our DNA. Stories shape our thinking more than logical arguments and bulleted list of facts. Stories touch our emotions and values in a way that data and information can't. Through stories, we connect the dots of perceptions, data, findings, arguments, experiences. We all live, we all live by some story, and we use that story then to answer life's most important questions. Well, the Bible is a story, and it's one story that addresses the big questions that people live by. Some questions that we ask, and maybe even some other questions that we don't even think about, or we don't even think to ask. It's the story of God revealing himself to humanity. After all, no one understands humanity more or better than humanity's creator. So let me tell you a few things about the Bible that will just blow your mind. Number one, the Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years in over a dozen countries in three continents by 40 people in three different languages. The Bible was written by poets, prophets, farmers, kings, soldiers, shepherds, princes, priests, historians, fishermen, tax collectors, scholars, businessmen, and doctors. The Bible was written in caves, in ships, in palaces, in prisons, in deserts. Now, here's a really, really big question based on what I just said. With all of that, how in the world did they come up with one story? Just one story without contradiction. How is the Bible one story? Well, here's the answer. The only answer that makes sense is that there was one author. And the one author of scripture is none other than God. There is no way, absolutely no way, given all those facts, that this could happen, that there could be one story if there were not one author. So just last month in May, we had a worship night here at the church where we uh, recorded some of the original songs written by our worship team members. And one of the most beautiful things about that evening was the worship leaders describing the writing of the song. And they talked about how they came together from three different campuses and they came together at different times. And this person brought this piece and this person 
brought this piece and a musician introduced a new dynamic and all of that and these songs came together. Although over the course of months or sometimes even a year. Well, can you imagine a writing project that took place over 1600 years on three different continents with over 40 people with so many different backgrounds? That would be humanly impossible to come up with one story unless there was one author. And that one author of the Bible is God himself. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is God-breathed. And then 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by a prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy or the word of God never had its origin in the will of man or in human will, but prophets, through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is what makes the Bible unique. It is God-inspired. It is God-breathed. It's one story, and it's the story of God. So to write a complete story, though he did choose different individuals at different times in history, and, but he inspired all of them to write parts of one story that encompasses the big story. So number one, the Bible is one story. This is not simply a compilation of stories or nice little sayings from Jesus that were all put together in some kind of a, a compilation. No, it is one story from beginning to end. Number two, you need to know that the Bible is relevant. It is the most relevant book that has ever been written. I actually had someone tell me one time, they said this right to my face, they said, we've got to get with the times. We've got to get with the times. Listen, this book is so outdated, it doesn't really fit our life. It doesn't really fit our lifestyle anymore. So their, their theory was we can't live by an outdated book. It's obvious that most critics of the Bible have never read it. Because if you would read the Bible from beginning to end, you would discover that it is the most relevant book ever. And here's why I believe that. The Bible is one story that has 66 different books divided into two main parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. 39 books of the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. But the ultimate context of the 66 books of the Bible is in four little chapters. Uh, the first two chapters in Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, and the last two chapters in the, in the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. All the content of the Bible is in those two chapters and then everything that comes in between. So let me explain that. It's only in the first two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, and the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, that we get a picture of the world as God intended it to be. The snapshot of life in these chapters depicts the perfect origin and the perfect destination of redemptive history. Genesis 1 begins with the words, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And you remember what he said about that creation? After he created it, he said, it's good. It was good. Everything, it's everything that you wanted. Man, it was the perfect environment. It was the, it was the food. It was the economy, uh, the relationships, everything perfect. Imagine living in a perfect world like that. No pandemics or monkeypox. No down days on Wall Street. No school shootings. Man, no breakups, no divorce, no cancer, no war. Everything is just perfect. And that's what the original creation was all about. 
That's what the, and, and that vision that God had is, is kind of locked up in our souls. That's what we want. That's what we desire. So when all of these other things happen in life that are less than perfect, we have this sense that something's wrong. It's not as it should be, or it's not as it could be. And you're exactly right. You're exactly right, because our souls were created for something more. They were created for a paradise that God created for us in Genesis 1 and 2. But mankind decided that we want something more. We want something different. And our pursuit of something other than what God created for us is what we call the fall. That's when sin was introduced into the world in Genesis uh, chapter 3. And at that very moment, everything that was perfect became broken. And, and now we have uh, broken relationships. Now we have broken promises. Now we have broken economies, broken trust, and, and all of that. Instead of life being what God intended it to be, life is now hard for us. And it's simply because we disregarded God and God's perfect plan for us. But at the end of the story, at the end of this one story in Revelation 21, God is going to restore everything again to that perfect condition. Revelation 21 says uh, God is going to uh, create a new heaven and a new earth. So I want you to understand this. This book is a story that begins in the Garden of Eden and it ends in the New Jerusalem. Locations that are utopian bookends of our existence and all of history. And everything that is happening between those two bookends, between those two chapters, is our world. It's the world that we live in. We live in Genesis 3 to Revelation chapter 20. That's our world. That's what we live in. And it's a broken world. And it's a story of God working through his people to bring restoration and brokenness that is caused by sin. Let me illustrate that very quickly with what Chris Hodges calls the mirror image. And this is going to appear on your screen. But number one, Number one, at the bottom of that list there is Genesis chapter one and two, and it's about God and his righteous people uh, in paradise. In fact, it's called God's righteous people in paradise. Then what comes next is Genesis chapter three, and that is where Satan and sin enter the world. Now, some of you need to listen to this. You need to hear this. There are two, because there are two things that happen when Satan and sin enter your life. Number one is you become separated from God. And number two is your life becomes chaotic every single time. When Satan and sin enter your life, you become separated from God and your life becomes chaotic. So if there's any chaos in your life right now, you simply need to stop and ask the question, man, where have I separated myself from God? Because that's exactly what happens uh, from it. Well, this happened in biblical history, which points to number three. Satan and sin entered the world, and it was chaos. And God says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, See, uh, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become. Right out of the chaos resulted by sin, it now resulted in wickedness. And the Lord saw that in uh, the wickedness of the human race. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was evil all the time. So the Lord said, listen, I'm going to judge this world. I'm going to wipe people from the face of this earth. We know the story. This great flood came and God destroyed humanity, except for that one man and his family, Noah. The Lord spared that one man. And so the earth began to populate again through him. But pretty soon it became chaotic. Once again, chaos ensued. 
And this time, humans tried to fix the problem, and they set out to reach this tower that, that reached all the way to the skies. They said, listen, we're going to take matters into our own hands. We're going to be like God. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to become a God to ourselves. They wanted to be in charge. Well, God says, no, that's not the way we're going to do it. I have a different plan. I'm going to establish a nation consisting of these 12 tribes. And we see this again in the book of Genesis. Uh, these are going to be my holy people, God says. And they're going to have influence over the earth. They're going to reign over the earth. But the problem was God gave them laws that were all external to them. There was nothing internal that, that drove them. It was these external laws, and that did not work. But let me tell you, this was not God going bad. This was not a bad plan on God. This was actually his plan designed to show mankind that they cannot do this on their own. They cannot uh, fulfill the law. They simply can't do it. Uh, mankind cannot be righteous by their own will. So that's kind of the beginning of history. That's the Old Testament. And then there's this time of silence there. And, and then all of a sudden, Jesus Christ appears. And we're going to put Jesus Christ kind of top and center of this little chart that we're created because that's, that's his position. God says through his prophets in the Old Testament, I'm going to provide a savior. So now Jesus enters top and center because that is what the Bible is all about. So the gospels, now we're into the New Testament. The gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John introduced Jesus coming into the world, and, and now it describes this new order that Jesus puts in place. Instead of 12 tribes to rule the earth, he appoints 12 disciples. And these disciples now are going to have influence. They're going to model him. They're going to imitate him. They're going to go into the world and influence and make a difference. And they did. They formed congregations that's called the church. But what is going to happen? In fact, it's already happening where mankind is once again going to say, we don't need God. We really don't need God. We can do things ourselves. We can run this world around uh, without you. That, by the way, is the dominant thought of humanity right now. And we are fast approaching this one world government system, which again parallels what happened in the Old Testament that didn't work. And what God is going to do again, now fast forward to the book of Revelation, God is going to judge this world and destroy the world once again, which you can read all about in Revelation. I want to let you in on something right now. This fall, at every one of our campuses at Grand Point, uh, we're planning to do a message series on the book of the Revelation. So hang in there. It's coming. We're going to talk about that this fall. But when God destroys the world this time, Satan and sin are going to exit. We saw before where it entered, but now they're going to exit. Satan is going to be thrown into this bottomless pit, and those who know Christ will rule and reign with him. And then what's going to happen? At the very end, Revelation 21 and 22, the earth is going to be recreated to a paradise once again, and this time God and the redeemed people will live there for eternity. That's the Bible. That's what the Bible is all about. And I want you to notice there's two lines at the bottom of our little, little graph there. God wants paradise for you. And can I just say this? Paradise is life. Sometimes we refer to our death as the afterlife, which simply implies that we're living life now, right? And then after this life is over, we go into the afterlife. May I just say something that I believe is more correct? This life that we live right now is the before life. 
Life really begins when we enter paradise and, and begin to live it out uh, with, with God. That's when life really begins. And that's what God, throughout all of history, is preparing, uh, is preparing for us. He is preparing for us life with him in paradise. That brings me to the third point. I'm going to wrap it up with this. And that is the Bible is God's story, is the story that God wants for you. The Bible is one story. The, the, the story is relevant, but this story is also everything that God wants for you. That's what it's all about. Jesus gave us a picture of what it means to be redeemed and prepared for paradise. When he was hanging on the cross, being crucified, the Bible tells us that there, was, uh, there were two criminals who were crucified with him, uh, one on his right and one on his left. And one of those criminals, you know, when they were hanging there, getting ready to enter eternity, that one criminal looks at Jesus and says, so if you're the Messiah, why don't you do something about this? Why don't you save yourself? And why don't you save us? Well, the other criminal on the other side actually rebuked the first guy. And he's like, no, listen, we're getting what we deserve. But this man referencing Jesus has done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me. Man, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus saw right into this man's heart. And he knew at that moment that that criminal was acknowledging him as Lord. And Jesus turned to him and said, today, you will be with me. Where? In paradise. You'll be with me in paradise. That is exactly, exactly what the Bible is all about. The main subject of the Bible is not us. Not us, far from it. Uh, the main subject of the Bible is Jesus, top and center of all of human history. Now, the object is us. We're the object, but the subject is Jesus. So when you read the Bible, whenever you read the Bible, look for Jesus. Old Testament, New Testament, it's all about, it's all about Jesus. And, and again, we want to try to help you understand that. We want to try to help you see that. That's what we commit to do whenever we use the Bible for our messages when we teach. We want you to see Jesus in it all. So Jesus is the subject. We're the object. Guess what the main verb is? You might be thinking, all right, I know what it is. The main verb of the, verb of the Bible is love. That's what it's all about, right? Because God is love. That's close. That's close, but it's not exactly right. Uh, the main verb of the Bible is not love. It's something better than that. And that is when love is given. John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The main verb of the Bible is give. God did not just have love. No, he gave it. So the Bible is all about Jesus and the fact that he gave his own life for us. And our response, in fact, our only reasonable response to the Bible and this one story is for us to give our lives back to him and to those that he calls us to serve. So John 3.16 might be the most famous verse in the Bible, but you know what 1 John 3.16 says? 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That is what the Bible is all about. The Bible, it's one story, and it's a relevant story, and it's a story of what God wants for you. 
So God's word, God's word is, is something that is so valuable to you. Listen, we want you to learn it, want you to love it, and we want you to live it. And we're committed to doing our best to help you with all of that. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you today for your holy Bible, the holy word. This book that is given to us um, as, a, as a story that is so relevant uh, for our lives, that shows us exactly what you want for us. God, I'm so grateful for what you're preparing for us in paradise. Uh, thank you for also helping us through this world in between uh, those bookends of utopia uh, by just allowing your spirit to live within us, which simply means that we're never, we're never apart from the presence of God. But I want to thank you today for your Bible. May we learn it, uh, love it, and live it out so that we might know the fullness, the fullness of life as you and